Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Oral Presentations, Episode Four. Charles Ponzi. I didn't, I didn't expect to do two on the second week, but I did the holiday special, King Tut. And if you listen to that one, it ended sad. It bothered me how sad that one ended. And I was like, ah, maybe I'll do another one. And then I found the story of Charles Ponzi. Well, actually, like I didn't. The reason I looked into this one is because. I didn't really know what a Ponzi scheme was. Like, I've heard the term, and I've heard the term, like, a conversation. Like, if you're ever with, like, your girlfriend's friends, boyfriend's friends, and they work in, like, finance or something, right? And then they they, they drop, like, a, that sounds like a Ponzi scheme, and they all laugh. And then you're like, ha, ha, yeah. But I, like, praying to God. That they don't ask me why I laughed because I don't really know exactly what that is. I know it's some sort of money scam, but that's that's what I wanted to answer in this. And then the guy's life, the guy's life's pretty funny because he's just a, a a liar whole time. I don't understand how this guy's brain worked whole time. Just deny till you die and smile and then be like, all right, I guess I don't know. He's fucking. Un- I don't. I don't even know how this dude's brain worked at all. There doesn't seem to be a whole lot of shame going on. But it's an interesting story. So episode four is Charles Ponzi. All right, so Charles Ponzi was born in 1882 in Parma, Italy. Now, I did look into that. If you did just hear that, Parma, and you were like, what is that? That's the first thing I thought, too. I was like, yo, is that the home of the chicken parmesan? Is that what we're dealing with here? Turns out, the answer is maybe. Half the people are like, chicken parmesan's from Parma, Italy. And then some people are like, no, no, no. Parmesan is from southern Italy because they got eggplants there. But for the purpose of this story, we're going to say Charles Ponzi hails from the land of chicken Parmesan. It's the proud country this man comes from. So he's born in 1882 in the city of chicken Parmesan. So he, in Italy. So the only thing really known about Charles Ponzi's early life is that he was an established thief. Everybody in his town knew he was just a fucking thief ass. Like... And he was bad at it. That's why he was an established thief. If you're a good thief, you're not known as a thief. Like, he got caught. He tried to steal, like, church documents, fucking spoons. I bet he had all the cups in his fucking room. Terrible roommate. Everybody in the town hated him, right? His family's like, you are killing us, dude. Stop fucking getting caught stealing shit. You're bad at stealing shit. So in 1903, his family's like, dude, you got to roll. You can't, you can't fucking be here anymore. Dude. You got to go to America. We're tired of your bullshit. Go on a boat, dude. You got to go on a boat and never come back. I, we won't miss you. You've, you're done with trouble, dude. We're getting so. You're just fucking. You're the worst thief. You got to go. Go on a boat. Leave. So Charles Pond, he's like, all right, whatever. So he gets two hundred and fifty bucks, which I'm guessing he stole out of his dad's change jar, and then hit a coin star, and fucking gets on some boat to go to America. He's going to New York. Charles Ponzi's like, all right, land of opportunity. I'm on a boat. I got two fifty. We can make this into more money. He knows how to play cards like thirty percent well, but he's an idiot. So he's like, I'm gonna make my fortune on this boat. By the time he gets into New York Harbor, his two hundred fifty bucks is now two dollars and fifty cents, and he's in a country that he can't speak the language. He gets off the boat, and he's like, all right, well, I gotta figure this out. He gets a job as a dishwasher in New York. And he's like a dedicated dishwasher. And while he's doing that, he's also learning English. He learns English very, very quickly. 
he has like excellent verbal ability and he's a super persuasive guy. That's why he could fuck around in Italy so long until they finally kicked him out. He got caught stealing so much. And then eventually they had to be like, all right, man, cause he's charming. Silver tongued devil, Charles Ponzi. All right. So he's working as a dishwasher. He's doing a good job. He's dedicated. He's sleeping there. Boss has to fire him for stealing like two weeks in. He just gets, he gets, he gets caught. He's charging people too much money. He's stealing out of the till. They're like, dude, get, you got to get the fuck out of here. He gets fired. But it's documented that he writes down after he loses this job, like, this is just a stepping stone. I know for a fact I'm going to be rich. It's my destiny to be rich. He always had, like, a self-belief, and he could talk to people. So in 1907, he's like, all right, a lot of people in New York know I'm a liar and a thief. I'm going to Canada. Ponzi goes to Canada, gets a job at a bank as a teller. Now, he's pretty good with numbers, and he's very persuasive. So he gets a job as a teller, and then immediately starts planning on how to take over this fucking bank. Right? So he's got a plan going, because he finds out the bank is in financial trouble for a number of bad loans. So he starts scheming how to himself take over this bank. Problem is, while he's doing that, he's also got another scheme going, where he's just stealing a ton of money out of some old lady's account. Like some old lady in Canada had a bunch of money in this bank and he is just taking it hand over fist like it's not a problem while he's scheming to take over this bank. He gets caught. He gets caught stealing from this old lady and Canadian cops are like, what the fuck, man? They throw him in Canadian jail for three years. He's in Canadian jail and from Canadian jail, he writes back to his family back in Parma, Italy, and they probably don't even give a shit about him. But he writes a letter and he's like, hey, mom. Uh, took a job at a prison in Canada. I had to saw. I had to sign a contract. It's a great job. I'm the assistant warden for three years. Just giving you guys a heads up. I'm totally not in prison. I hope you guys are great. Spends three years in Canadian jail. 1910. He's out. He goes back to the United States. Back in the United States, 1910, he almost immediately gets involved in a human trafficking ring, smuggling Italian immigrants into the United States, and gets caught almost immediately, does another two years in jail, but it's U.S. jail this time. <laughs> he's, he's bad at everything he does, but he just keeps doing shit. All right, 1918, we're out of American jail. <laughs> Charles, what do you want to do with your life? He's like, all right. Now everybody in New York knows I'm a fucking liar. I got to go to Boston. He goes to Boston. He meets a young woman named Rose, and he lies to her until she marries him. So now he's got a wife named Rose from Boston. He gets a job at a shipping company, import-export. And again, he is naturally talented with numbers, and he can talk a little bit. So he moves up in the company. He's doing well. He actually is making a legitimate living now with a wife in Boston. Then he gets, and this is a turning point in Ponzi's life, he receives a letter from what sources call a Spaniard. That's all I could find on it. He receives a letter from a friend who was a Spaniard. And in this letter, this is how Ponzi finds the scheme that will later be make him famous and be the first Ponzi scheme. All right, this is the first time on the podcast I'm going to try to explain anything economic or mathematical at all. Here we go. So Ponzi's scheme that was outlined in the letter from the Spaniard, it was in regards to these things called postal reply coupons. 
Now, in 1907, the International Postal Congress agreed to issue postal reply coupons. And what that meant is that the amount of immigration taking place due to the industrialization of boats, people can fucking go to America and shit. They got to be able to talk to their family. There's no cell phones. So it's all postage. So the International Congress, 1907, makes these things called postal reply coupons. And they're good everywhere. Anywhere on earth, if you get a letter from somebody, you can slap one of these on and mail it back to them. And it doesn't matter what country they're in, whatever. It's good postage. Don't worry about it. So in the letter, Ponzi's informed of this. And then he's also informed that if you buy them, because this is post-World War I. So if they're good all over the world, you can buy them anywhere over, all over the world. So after World War I, the American economy was pretty good. We're gearing up for the 1920s. We came out of World War I. We really didn't get fucked up. They couldn't bomb us. Dude, the Atlantic Ocean's in the way. It's fine. But Europe's economies are fucked. They're up and down, super volatile. Currency exchange rates are nuts. But America is solid. The dollar is worth what it's worth, and it's fucking strong. So the plan that Ponzi was informed of and then would become his plan. So he's going to take American dollars from a strong economy. He's going to go to Europe into some shitty country whose economy is almost all the way upside down and money's almost worth nothing. So he's going to use American dollars in a shitty country to buy all these postal reply coupons at the rate that the shitty country economy charges. So in giving American dollars in that country, he will receive postal reply coupons that when he goes back to America and cashes them in for regular stamps, the value of those stamps will be four to five hundred times or four to five hundred percent larger than his initial cash investment. So he takes American dollars to Europe, buys these fucking things, mega coupons, brings it back to America, turns them into regular stamps. The stamps that come out are worth way more than the money that he originally gave them. It's a legitimate scheme on paper. There's no fuckery at this point. This is just a good idea and a loophole. But to do it, you got to go to Europe. You got to buy them there. You got to bring them back. You got to turn them into stamps. Stamps turn into cash. So there's a whole chain that you have to do. But on paper, this is a real plan. And because of that, Charles Ponzi finds this out. And immediately starts trying to tell anybody with money in the Boston business community about this scheme. In 1919, he opens up his securities and exchange company for this master plan with the mega coupons, right? But he only he, he kind of opens a physical location to give it more legitimacy. It's not clear whether or not he knew he just wasn't going to do this plan. At this point, he opens the thing up and starts trying to network and get people, get his first wave of investors for this plan. He explains a plan to them on paper. It looks bulletproof. A small group of Boston business people do invest in Ponzi's plan. Now, Ponzi tells them, all right, I can either give you 50% on your money in, th in 30 days or in three months, I can double your money. Those, those are the rules for the first wave of investors. So Ponzi takes the first wave of investors' money chills and then at the end of the timetable the investors come back and he meets with them one-on-one -on -one and offers to give them their money back plus the interest he promised but he didn't do any of the stamp plan thing or anything he just took money from a bunch of different people 
and then met with him one-on-one and was like, hey, I'll give you your investment. Here's your money back. Do you want it back? And because he's so charming and because the cash is right there and these people are like, holy shit, this guy's for real, they all choose to keep their money in with Ponzi. And this is huge for Charles Ponzi because now this first wave of investors become his advertisers because they're fully integrated in the Boston business community. And so these guys who have just put money into this and had their an incredible rate of return, they become the advertisers for Ponzi's next wave of investors, and it starts snowballing incredibly fast. Now, Ponzi does hire sales agents, like his uncle gets in on it. He hires people, but it's just people to recruit more people to give him money. He never hires a staff of like, you got to go to Europe and buy these coupons, and then you're going to carry them on a boat back here, and then these guys are going to turn them into stamps, and then these guys are going to... He doesn't set up any infrastructure. There's no business. He just hires sales agents for more investors, and then if anybody ever asks him, like, hey, how, who's handling the actual plan? Ponzi's like, I'm taking care of that. Don't worry about it. It's fine. He's not doing it. He's, not, he's just lying to people. All right, so at this point, oh, also, he takes $800 off his wife, which I think is really funny. That he just, he just fucking, he, like, if he knows it's a scam, he still takes 800 bucks off his wife. And he's like, yeah, babe, sounds, sounds good. It's like, all right, whatever. So by the end of, uh, by 1920, he has $30,000, which is incredible. That's a lot of money. But he owes a lot of people in Boston, a total of $45,000. But because this facade of nobody's cashing out because the money's so good, so the money just stays in, and he's riding it. He's, he's, he's just, I guess it's great. Doesn't hire anybody to go get the stamps or anything. He's just rolling with it, word of mouth, and cash is coming in, and he's running the same play. If anybody wants their money back, show it to him one-on-one with a big stack of cash. You sure you want it back? Oh, you definitely want to reinvest it? Great choice. Here's some coffee. Thank you. So this is all, but he knows that he's kind of fucked or it's starting to build of like, I don't know how I'm going to get out from under this, but he's also making a lot of money. So at one point he hires the Boston police department to stand outside of his physical location, the securities and exchange company. And he does this for two reasons. One, at this point he's taking in so much cash that it is relatively dangerous and that he might get robbed. So he actually does need the security. But he does it so other people see this guy's making so much fucking money, he has to hire the police to guard his business. And that's excellent word of mouth advertising. People see cops and they're like, we got, I got to put my money in there, dude. They're making so much money, they fucking bought the police to guard it. I'm missing out. I got it. And everybody's investing. Everybody throws their money at this guy. The priests, fucking cops, old ladies. Uh, the immigrant community, the Italian immigrant community of Boston, and also at a certain point it disseminates down to New York and New Jersey. Like the immigrant community gets rich off of Charles Ponzi when this is happening, and they treat him—they treat him like a hero. There's a quote where uh, an Italian immigrant said, or he was asked about, "What do you think about Charles Ponzi?" You know, and there's like, "Oh, he's a great man." There's like, "How great is he? Greater than Columbus?" and the Italian immigrant who was making money through Ponzi scheme, uh, scheme said Columbus found America, but Ponzi invented money. Like this guy can do no wrong in the immigrant, in the immigrant community. They see him as a hero. It's an American story. And this is, keep in mind, this is all happening in a very small space at a time. Like he was broke 
all the way fucking broke like six months ago. He was working at that shipping company and just kind of like having a life and seeing what he wants to do. It's It's been like six months since he initially got the idea and now he's handling all this money and owes a bunch of people money, but he's just rolling with it. He's been caught doing bad shit before. He's just like, I'm having a good time. What are we doing? We're fine. But he knows that it's piling up. Right? So Ponzi starts trying to figure out ways that he can get out from under this debt that only he knows he has. Everybody in Boston thinks everything's great and we're making money. Here we go. Ponzi knows when he's alone by himself that this is piling up and he is fucked and he is going to get caught like it's those church documents again back in Chicken Parmesan, Italy. So he here's a plan he comes up with. He starts taking all of his cash deposits to one bank, the Hanover Trust. It was a huge bank in Boston. So Ponzi starts de- starts depositing all of his cash in there, which is a tremendous amount of money. Eventually, he gets up to $200,000, which is the majority of the money that's in that bank, the actual physical money. And then when he gets to 200 k Ponzi goes over and politely tells the bank manager, hey, how you doing? I'm going to withdraw all of my money right now, and this bank will collapse, and everybody's going to be fired unless you give me control of this bank. This is my bank now. Don't make me do it. I will withdraw everything, and you will get fired. This bank will collapse. Or you can just give it to me, and we can keep doing business. You know what I'm saying? They have to give it to him. He now owns a bank. He has blackmailed a bank, and now he owns it, which is good for him because it helps hide his books more. If he controls the banking, because he had a long-term plan when he was trying to think about how to get the fuck out from under all this debt, he had a long-term plan of, like, if I can get the banks, then I can get the lawyers, I can get the judges, I can get the cops, I can get the politicians. So even if I don't find a way out from under this debt, when it all comes crashing down, I'll be able to buy my way into a light sentence. People will forget about it. We'll figure it out. It's all right. So this is his first plan of that where he takes over a bank. And his books are already convoluted. Like people, have, they haven't started looking into him yet. But we'll get there. When they start looking into it, it's, and especially now that he owns the bank it's kept in, he can add another layer of books on top of it to hide all the bullshit. The fact that nobody's buying stamps. Nobody's going to Europe to get stamps yet. And this is spiraling way out of control. All right. So at the end of six months... He has taken in $3 million in 1920, and, but he owes $4.5 million. And I think, in my opinion, this is when Ponzi kind of realizes that, like, oh, man, I might be fucked. Because now is when Ponzi starts balling out, just going wild, buys a mansion, buys a mansion with air conditioning, central air in 1920, which is unheard of. Heat, the whole thing. He puts a half million dollars worth of furniture into it. Pays for it. Just balls at half million dollars of furniture in 1920. Had a heated swimming pool. Unheard of. Just blowing through cash. And I'm guessing it's because he knew that, like, I don't really know how I'm getting out of this, but we're going heated swimming pool, whatever. He brings his mom over from Italy. She shows up, and she was actually interviewed and kind of is, like, foreshadowing as to what would come his mom in an interview was like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, a lot of times this kind of feels like it's all a dream and I'm going to wake up soon. I don't, I don't know, but he's doing well. <laughs> we, we, I mean, she knew he was a thief. She kicked him out of Italy. 
She knew this. You show up and your son's got a heated swimming pool, and the last time you saw him, he was fucking stealing all the cups. <laughs> like, yo, you know something's wrong here. All right. So he's got a bank. He's balling out. His mom's there. His marriage is still together. Hanging out. Cops show up. You can't have a heated swimming pool in Boston. Somebody's going to ask questions, man. This is getting ridiculous. Three cops show up to Ponzi's place. Ponzi then talks to him for a couple of hours. And at the end of talking to the police, who are just inquiring, like, hey, can you explain our business, your business to us? What's going on here? At the end of the couple of hours, two of the three police officers invest in Ponzi's business. And then the third officer would later invest in Ponzi's business. Slick tongue devil. He just kept smiling. The guy's standing by a heated swimming pool. You know, maybe he does know something. And if you're Boston cop, I mean, good luck. These books are impossible to decipher. All right, so this is the beginning of when things, the noose begins to tighten on Charles Ponzi. So when he first got his physical location, he didn't even buy the furniture that he put in that office. He bothered a buddy and he was like, yeah, can I get some free furniture? I'm setting the thing up. Can you help me out? And buddy gave it to him. At this point, the buddy sues, the furniture guy sues Ponzi because he's like, yo, I was an investor in this. I gave you the furniture. You owe me a million and a half dollars. This is bullshit. It's kind of a frivolous suit, but it's the first big public suit against Ponzi. And people are kind of like, how is this even working? So any sort of legal action against him makes everybody nervous because so many people have so much money in this guy. So any sort of hiccup at all in the press is detrimental to, Pon uh, to Ponzi's reputation. So Ponzi kind of has to deal with a small run on his business once this furniture guy starts talking shit and that news story comes out. There's a small run on his business, but he comes out and he pays everybody out in cash. So there's like a group of people at his physical place. He comes out and he's like, one at a time, I'll pay you out. No problem. Like that scene from It's a Wonderful Life where you just pay him out. It's a run on the bank. A small one though. But he pays him out and he says, I can afford to give away $200,000 a day and it doesn't hurt me. Not a big deal. Here's some donuts if you want. Thank you so much for investing. People buy his fucking shtick. The guy looks confident. You know, maybe maybe I'm overreacting, getting my money out, you know? It was a personal vendetta. Ponzi plays on all those insecurities. Stays afloat. He's good to go. Also, a fun thing he did once he started balling out, he bought that shipping company he worked at where he received the letter from the Spaniard. He bought that company and uh, fired his old boss just to do it. Just to be like, ah, fuck off. <laughs> fired. All right, so July 1920, noose tightening. But the Boston Post article comes out, and it's surprisingly in favor of Ponzi. It's calling him an Italian hero, you know, innovator, the American dream. He gets hit with another wave of investors, and he doesn't have a plan for how to get out from under. He's he's a little bit concerned at this point, but this, this Post article runs, and then more investment. He's now taking in... $250,000 cash a day in 1920. He had to know that something like this was not going to hold up, but he keeps rolling with it. What's he going to do? Still hasn't sent one person to go buy a stamp. Nobody's buying stamps. He's just taking in a quarter of a million dollars a day. 
All right. The same day as the post article that would then trigger his third wave of huge investment runs, the Massachusetts attorney general meets with Ponzi and says, Hey, something's up here. We don't know what's up, but this doesn't make any sense. We need to take a look at your books. We don't understand this shit. And Ponzi says, Hey, no problem. Love that you guys came to visit. I'll tell you what, I'll show you my books. Not a big deal. Also, while we're doing this investigation, if you guys want, I'll just stop taking new new investments. I don't even need any more money. We'll just shut down any money coming in. Just because you're curious, how about that? I, it just make it would make both of us feel better. But I'll tell you what, I'll still pay out. If people want their money back, I'll still pay them. But while you guys are looking into it, you know, you guys are concerned. I'm concerned. Let's work together on this. I'll just stop taking in new investments. I'm totally fine. Don't worry about it. They're like this guy's. I think we're I think we're misled here. This guy's so confident. They fucking buy it. He he knows he knows that he owes so much money. But he can he can dance a little bit. And so the mess they're like, "All right, sounds good." So they don't shut him down right away. This is when Ponzi knows that he only has a certain amount of time because the Massachusetts Attorney General investigation is going to find something and he knows that there are no fucking stamps being that he owes the city of Boston, money, everybody. He owes a lot, like a lot of New York, some New Jersey people. He owes a ton of people money, and he knows he's fucked. So he comes up with his third plan, and this is a plan to try to get him out from under this debt. He owns the bank. He's got lawyers, politicians, or whatever, but he still technically owes all these people this money. He doesn't know how to get rid of it. So he finds out that the U.S. government is selling $10 million worth of transport ships all right, so he goes to them and he's like, yo, what's up? My name's Charles Ponzi. I'm killing it. Can I please buy these ships? I got a great plan for them. Give me a good price. I'm going to make a shipping company. It's going to be great. They're like, yeah, sure. We'll, we'll sell them to you. But he doesn't have the $10 million. He has to go get other bankers to invest in this idea with him. And if he can do that, his plan and his end game here was if he can get the $10 million worth of ships He can make that company go public. He can then offer stock in that company to his initial investors from the stamp plan. So in going from owing a ton of people actual money, he will offer them shares in his shipping company. And if he can make them transfer it over into shares in their shipping company, and that shipping company fucking tanks, he doesn't owe anybody any money anymore, and he gets away with it. It's not a bad plan. It's a pretty good plan. If you can get that money over there and then you tank that company, no harm, no foul, dude. You're good to go. Problem is, bankers don't understand why he needs investment from them. And they're leery on this to begin with. They know about the Massachusetts Attorney General looking into him. They're like, I think it's a good idea, but I'm not going to invest in it, man. So he did have a plan at the very end to maybe be able to save his own ass. Couldn't convince anybody anymore. His charm ran out. And this is when things take a turn because negative articles start getting ran in the press. Specifically, a Wall Street analyst uh, is quoted in a, I don't know if it's a Boston Post, but in a, in a Boston Press article as saying, we've done investigation into Charles Ponzi. The one thing that kind of leads us to believe that this is all horseshit is because we found out Charles Ponzi keeps his personal money in a bank that has nothing to do with his investment 
plans. He, his own personal funds are stored away in a bank that's making two to 3% a year. Meanwhile, he's promising 50, 50, a hundred percent return, insane returns to his customers. If it was a legitimate thing that was going on, there's no reason Charles Ponzi shouldn't have his money also into this scheme to be able to double and triple it over. And that's a strong enough argument that there is a frantic run on Ponzi when this article drops. Ponzi is mobbed by investors who are like, oh, fuck, I think I'm going to lose everything. So they, there's a mob out front of Ponzi's place. But again, just unshakable confidence. Ponzi comes out front and he's like, no problem. We'll pay everybody out. Don't worry about it. And he literally brings coffee and donuts out to everybody. And then offers to pay all of them out. Some of them take the money, but a lot of them say like, oh, no, we'll just keep it. It's not a big deal because he's so charming. He's so charming. Coffee and donuts save his ass on this one. But he still loses some money, but he's okay. Another article drops. More bad press. The frantic run is continuing. He, he kind of... He curtailed the first wave, but there's too much negative press building up, and he can't prove it. People are like, show me your plan. I don't understand how these, these rates of return are insane. You can't you can't do this. this. This can't be real. So somebody finds out his postal reply coupon scam. They find out the, the actual plan on paper that is legitimate. And then they go and they investigate by asking European countries – how many of these postal reply coupons have you even sold? Have you sold large amounts of these? They get a tally of how many of them exist on the planet Earth. And then they do the math with how many investors and how much money Ponzi has. And they clearly see that like, oh, this is not real. This can't be real. There's not enough coupons on Earth to even be worth a third of this money. There's no purchase orders in Europe for large amounts of these coupons. This is a house. This is a house of cards, dude. This is all lies. This is all fucking lies. At this point, the dream is collapsing. <laughs> Charles Ponzi hears that inception noise, like, like people know, people know, and he is fucked. So he comes out and he makes a public statement to try to save his own ass, and he's like, "All right, so you guys, so you saw that article about the postage reply coupons? Of course, there's no record of postage stamps being sold." Or anything like that, because here's the truth. I've had a secret plan this whole time. I've told people it's the postage reply coupon thing that I've made. It's totally secret. I just didn't tell anybody, you know, so the Wall Street guys didn't find out. Also, Michael Jordan's my dad. He's <laughs> a fucking liar. They, uh, they don't buy it. They don't buy it. He's still... he's. He's halfway into paying people out. He's having to do that dance, dude. His life must be hell at this point. And then the final press article drops in the Boston Post because the guy who is Ponzi's publicity agent goes and gives an interview and tells the absolute truth about it because somehow he knew. I guess Ponzi told him. So the publicity agent gives an interview in the Boston Post and he's like, Ponzi is hopelessly insolvent. And after that, it is a massive run. They, people know that they're fucked. Everybody's trying to get their money out right now. 
And Ponzi could smile all day. Fuck coffee and donuts. Give me my money back, dude. I gave you my $1,000 they gave me for my leg I lost in World War One. I. I need that money back. He is paying out everybody. It's a mess. So August 10th, 1920, federal agents raid his shit. They shut him down. Nobody can get any money out. Everything's frozen. If people got their money out before then, fine. But if not, he's arrested now. Everything's frozen. Your money's gone. Two days later, the police are interviewing Ponzi. They have the news story. They have all the proof. And he still has his facade of like, everything's all right. Yeah, this is just a big misunderstanding. Don't worry about it. All right. But after hours of police interrogation, Ponzi asked the police officers like, okay, so are you telling me that I am insolvent? And the cops are like, yeah. And then he's quoted as saying, well, in that case, I'm your prisoner. He just fucking flips. He just 180s immediately. And he's like, yep, well, arrest me. How about that? Okay, going to jail. (laughs) Completely admits everything. He's like, yeah, it's fine. Doesn't help him with the books or anything. People still can't unscramble those books. It looks like it's just a bunch of children's menus from Friendlies that somebody did the mazes on with Crown. Like, those books are impossible to read. But Ponzi's like, yep, all right, sounds good. He's charged with 86 counts of fraud. When he get when he's arrested, a mob of people try to stop the police from arresting him. Like when he's finally indicted, and they're like, "All right, he's gonna go to fucking jail." A mob of people because he's still an Italian hero. People can't believe it. They they know this guy at this point. He's been charming the whole time. He's get, he's made the Italian people a ton of money. He's made everybody a ton of money. This has to be some misunderstanding. They attack the cops. Cops are like, "Get the fuck out of here! You have no you have no idea what's going on here. This guy just he just flipped." A hundred percent, he fucked you over. So it turns out that Ponzi owed over $15 million to people. He owed the whole city of Boston money. Everybody. $15 million in 1920. And in today's math, that's about a quarter of a billion dollars. It's like $250 million. Didn't have any of it. Didn't have any of it. Was like, well, I guess I'm arrested. Sorry. November 1st, 1920, he pleads guilty. He gets five years in prison, and his wife fainted. I'm guessing his wife fainted because he lied to her and was like, hey, I'm doing this thing at the courthouse. Come watch. I got to be a witness for somebody else's trial. And then they were like, all right, you get five years. And she was like, what the fuck? Blacked out. Just a liar his whole life. All right. So he goes to jail. He gets five years. He serves three and a half, and that's federal time. He also has to be put on trial by the state of Massachusetts. But he does his three and a half. He gets released and he's on probation, but he has a trial schedule for Massachusetts. They're like, yo, don't go anywhere. You know, you, you know, you can hang out, but you can't, we're going to put you back in jail, dude. So just chill. He's like, yeah, I'm, I swear to God, I'm just going to hang out. Goes to Florida. <laughs> Fucking right down the Eastern seaboard goes to Florida. Nobody knows he's a liar down there. Gets to Florida immediately makes some idiot real estate company. He names it like Chuck Poe or something. He named it like his initials, like Chuck Poe. He takes loans, buys a bunch of useless fucking swamp land. But it's 1920. Nobody has Google Earth to be able to check if real estate is good or not. So he takes loans, buys useless, disgusting, gross swamp land that you can't build on, and then starts trying to flip it and sell it to, to real estate investors in Florida and be like, yo, I got this great land. How you doing? My company's Chuck Poe. My name's Charles Ponzi. 
You've certainly never heard of me before. How this is great land. Meanwhile, the fucking land's gross, dude. You can't build on it. The beavers are sick. <laughs> fucking disgusting Florida land. But he makes some money. And then he gets arrested in Florida. They're like, wait, what's his name again? Charles Ponzi? I fucking heard of that guy. Get him in here. He gets arrested and indicted in fraud. Or on fraud in Florida. They indict him. He's like, oh, man, sorry about that. I don't know what happened here. Let me tell you what. All right, I'm going to hang out and wait for my trial down here. Just a second. I got to go to Texas. <laughs> fucking. Pew! Gone, dude. They let him out. He just goes to Texas. He's like, all right, well, in Texas now. His whole plan is like, I'm just going to get on a boat. I'm going back to Italy. I'm in Texas. I'm getting on a boat. Leaving. He gets on a boat. And he gets caught. They're like, who the fuck is this guy? And then they look into it. And they're like, oh, my God. It's this dude who stole the church documents in Italy. <laughs> this guy's been a piece of shit his whole life. They send him back to Massachusetts for his trial. He goes back to Massachusetts for his trial. And he's like, I don't know what happened. Sorry about that. I'm excited to be back. Sounds good. Let's go on trial. It's 1931 at this point. The Massachusetts Attorney General cannot read these books. The best they can come up with is like, this guy owes at least $2 million. What a piece of shit. <laughs> Goes to prison. 1934. Gets out of prison. And that's all the prison time he serves for his scheme. So he gets like three and a half years, and then he gets pinned for like another three years. Total of like six and a half years. It's not that bad of a price to play for having like a heated swimming pool in 1920. So he gets out, and it's 14 years after everybody got fucked out of their money, but people still remember him. So as he gets out of jail, people are like yelling shit at him. It's like a, a, a mob of 50-50 where half the people are like, Charles, we love you. And the other people are like, I'll fucking kill you. <laughs> I have no money. That was all I had. So he's hated and loved. Oh, a fun thing he did when he was in prison, when he first went to prison, it's in November, he wrote all of his investors' Christmas cards of like, hey, sorry, my bad. And they have some of the Christmas cards because people wrote him back and half of the people were like, you're an Italian hero. I know this is just bullshit. And the other half were fucking irate. <laughs> like, that was all... That was all I had. That was my leg money, dude. You piece of shit. I'll kill you when you get out. So he gets out of his second prison sentence. And he's smiling in every photo. Even when he gets out of jail the second time, he's just smiling. He can't help himself. No shame. Gets deported to Italy. America's had enough. Get the fuck out of here. It's enough, dude. We're, we're not even sending you to Florida. Fucking, you just leave, dude. You have to leave. You have been too much trouble. You gotta go. They sent him to Italy. So at this time, so Charles Ponzi's back in Italy. He comes back. He comes back to his hometown. I bet. And they're like, Ah, why are you back? He's like, ah, I got caught stealing shit. His whole family's like, Fucking knew it. So he's back, but he tries to scheme people. His one last scheme is like, Hey, I'm gonna write an autobiography, The Rise and Fall of Mister Ponzi. Would you like to buy shares in it? And everybody's like, Fuck you, <laughs> no. Get out of here, dude. Doesn't work. What does work, though, is that he does have some notoriety because he went to America and made all this money and eh, there's some bad shit that happened, but it's enough that he can sell it to people. So he starts hanging out with the aristocracy of Italy, which at the time is Mussolini's regime. So he becomes boys with 
Benito Mussolini, who would then lead Italy in World War II. But at this time, Mussolini is just consoling power and setting up, like, uh, mobilizing the military because they kind of know they're going to go to war. So Ponzi starts hanging out with Mussolini. Mussolini's like, fucking love this guy. <laughs> this guy's great. Mussolini puts Ponzi in charge of an airline in Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. It's the Italian airline. Ponzi's the head of it. He gets set up in Rio, and he's back to living in heated swimming pool times. He's he's found fortune again. He's balling out again. This time it's in Rio. He loves it. He's actually landed on his feet pretty great if he can just chill and live in Rio the rest of his life. But, you know, he can't say no. This guy can't stop. He can't fucking stop. So he knows Italy needs precious war minerals or... Uh, resources to be able to make armaments for the war coming up and he's running an airline he starts smuggling out precious war minerals to italy using the airline gets caught <laughs> of course gets caught fired he's in he's in rio charles ponzi ends up dying in rio de janeiro in like a charity ward of a hospital at 67 years old he has his unpublished biography autobiography next to him and he ends up being worth like a hundred bucks but and so that's the story of charles ponzi and what i will say if you look at it the space of time where all that crazy shit happened in 1920 was so small the i kind of like i understand getting carried away with it it's a the course of six months you went from broke and then you owned you know two hundred fifty thousand dollars a day and you're just telling people you're buying stamps Anyway, that's Charles Ponzi. I uh, I wish you all a happy holiday. This is gonna be a second one. I don't know. I don't. I don't know if I'm gonna be able to keep up with two a week. But Charles Ponzi just fucking made me laugh. Guys, just a shameless asshole. Oh. People still do Ponzi schemes, but I don't know. Uh, I think like Albania's whole country almost collapsed in like '93 because some like the whole country got Ponzi schemes. So they still go around, but that's. That's the history of it. And so if you ever get caught in a conversation where somebody who works in finance says Ponzi scheme, you don't have to feel dumb because you know about it now. And you you know where it came from. Maybe hit him with some Ponzi facts, you know? Be like, you know he ended up running an airline in Rio de Janeiro and still couldn't stop fucking stealing shit? He's from the land of chicken parmesan, do you know that? I don't know. Anyway, hey guys, have a nice holiday. Uh, thanks for listening. Also, if... Uh, I heard there's like a group of high schoolers who found this. Hi. <laughs> that was the weirdest fucking thing. I heard, because uh, the first two episodes came out and somebody was like, yeah, a bunch of high schoolers found it and they listened to it. So, I don't know. Hello. I wouldn't talk to you in real life. But, all right. Cool, man. Uh, keep hanging out. Uh, thanks very much. Everybody have a nice holiday and uh, happy new year if I don't do another one. But I probably will. I'll see you.